chefs, and welcome back to another installment here at the Melting Pot. I'm your host, Sly. I'm Cardi the Don. And today we have another exciting show for you all, and we hope you guys enjoy. We have a special guest uh, joining us today, and without further ado, we would like to invite him to introduce himself. Much love and positivity, everybody. My name is Exante Walls. I'm a city council member for the city of Prairie View and also an HBCU College Town community developer. Uh, it's just a pleasure to be on here and be able to have a conversation. Glad to have you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How old are you and what made you want to get into politics? Well, I'm 24 years old, um, 24 years young. Uh, what made me want to get into politics is learning. Um, I was previously SGA vice president at Purdue a University, which really got my first taste in the microcosm of politics. And I kind of was able to understand that politics is just a redistrib- redistribution of resources and a reinforcement of ideologies. Um, and so if you don't have a seat at the table, then you will lack those resources that you may need for your community and those ideologies that may either oppress your community or that may leave out your community will be solidified by those who don't have your best interests in mind. So my philosophy was, you know, if change is not happening um, from the background, then you need to go into the foreground. So I just felt that if I could just take my name, put on a ballot, say what I'm about and people vote for me, then hey, then let's, let's get a crack. And if not, I'm still gonna continue to do the work because uh, I do have a background in community activism and community organizing as well. And that was kind of my first uh, step towards politics. Nice. So how is the community uh, within Prairie View? How would you describe it? So we are definitely a college town. Majority of our population is 18 to 24 year olds, and that's obviously collegiate students at Prairie View A&M University. But also we have um, an elder community outside, uh, which is 55 and up, which makes the second majority. Then we have those in between from the ages of 25 and 55 uh, as kind of the middle aged community, um, which is the smaller demographic of the community. But for most part, we are truly representative of a college town. You know, this past uh, election, everything's been so crazy. And, you know, we were really counting on younger uh, people to, you know, come out and vote uh, for the presidential election. Similar to your situation is like, you know, you're in a predominantly uh, collegiate town and, you know, how important was it to, you know, talk to the youth and actually persuade them to, you know, vote uh, and be, you know, in the front lines of politics and to actually know what's going on uh, within their community and also, you know, outside of the community, like in in a bigger retrospection as the presidential election? Yeah, I think it's very important. Uh, one thing that I feel like I was pulling this earth for to fight for the liberation of my people. Um, and that fight for liberation, you got to build political, economic, social, and psychological power on a local level. Um, and what you do on a local level uh, impacts a lot of things that you do on a federal level. So for me, um, voting in this election, uh, voting is just a tool in a toolbox. It's like the hammer uh, whenever you're building a house. But if you don't know how to use a hammer, even though you're there ready to build a house, you don't know exactly how to utilize that tool. So not only do I get people out to vote, but I educate them on how to leverage your vote, how to use a quid pro quo type tactic where you're not just voting for people just because of a party affiliation or skin tone 
or class is because they can give you something in return for your vote. And so this particular election was was of keen interest to me because local and county elections were pushed back from May to November because of COVID-19. So not only was the president running and state officials running, but also I was running as a city council member. We had a mayor running, we had county commissioners running. Um, So there was so much power that was packed in this election that I felt that it was most important that not only that we get out and vote, but we get involved with those who are asking us to elect them into office because the elections is not the end game. The elections are just a jump off of how we truly build local power and create our own institutions uh, for our liberation at the end of the day. I couldn't agree more. I want to kind of double back to what you were talking about uh, when you were stressing the importance of people not just voting for, you know, uh, people in the party that may look like you and, you know, of similar races and stuff. And to actually focus on how, what they're actually talking about in their campaign and how they plan to help and um, make sure that the community is actually evolving. And I know a lot of people who, yeah, you know, you have those people who vote, but, you know, most of them are just voting like, hey, you know, because, you know, they look like me not guaranteed that you know what they have planned is what will necessarily be best but it's like like you were saying it's just because you know there's someone who looks like me so i wanted to you know see if you could dive more you know deeper into that yeah for sure for sure um for one i mean if you just look at the history of how power has been moved and transferred from one to another um there's a saying in politics that there's no permanent friends, there's no permanent enemies, only permanent interests. Meaning that just because you see someone a friend one day don't mean they're going to be your friend the next day, especially in this realm of redistributing resources and reinforcing ideologies. So I've definitely experienced sure. people who were, you know, skin folk, but weren't really kin folk. I've experienced people who say, you know, I'm a Democrat, so I'm gonna be here for y'all. But then when it came time to help us and advocate us for the most, they were AWOL, you know, but now I'm seeing the opposite where Republicans yeah. came in and was like, you know what, look, I, I, I see uh, some injustice, let's work together to find some solutions. I've seen people who weren't of my skin folk that say, you know what, like we may not be the same, but you know, let's get together and come up with a solution. So for me, I think it's really big to know how to set an, an agenda, right? Cause when you set an agenda, you cut all that BS to the side and you let people know what you really want. So, and it's on all levels, right? Exactly. So like at a HBCU college town, like students, and the student body should have an agenda, right? An agenda for all levels of government. That is administration, that is for the city, that's a county, that's a federal. Even if you're in a community, right, you're in a neighborhood and you got your local official coming through saying, hey, everybody in this neighborhood vote for me. That neighborhood should have an agenda that, nah, we want A, B, C, and D you going to get my vote to create collective power. So not only do we have to vet the people who are yearning to be our local officials, but we also got to say, this is what we want instead of just letting them tell us what they think that we need so that we are creating a conversation. Because a lot of times 
when you set agendas, let's say you set 10 points. Like I love the Black Panther part, the 10 point uh, program uh, when it comes to the agenda. It's like, yeah, both sides may not do all 10 points, but one is going to hit eight. One's gonna hit three. So when it comes to advancing your community, what is gonna be a better bet? The person that hits eight. And even if, you know, they only hit eight, they may work with you a little bit more on the other two points. So now you get more leveraging power. So when the next person comes in, now you can get those two points that you want. So it's all about thinking with the end in mind, knowing what you want for yourself and not letting other people dictate the needs of a community that they're not even a part of. Yeah, I was saying, I, I just want to make sure my people do better. We, we, we've done a good job up to this point, but we got to do better. I couldn't agree. I can, I can hear the passion. I can hear the passion within your voice. I love it. Right. It's definitely, it's definitely there. Okay. If it's not too much to um, ask, if you can give us like a few key points on like what was on your specific agenda. Uh, when I was, when I wasn't an elected official or... When I was running to be an elected When you official. were running, my bad. <laughs> oh, no, you good. You good. So, first of all, I, I believe that if you're going to build community, first you got to build people, right? You got to invest in people. So, a lot of the things that I was campaigning on were people-focused, right? Building stronger neighborhoods um, so that you are now strengthening the social fabric within the community so that neighbors are not actually neighbors and they're just not strangers in close proximity to each other. Also creating an environmental strategic plan. Like we in in the place that I'm at, uh, City of Prairie View, we are a food desert. Uh, we are a medical desert and some of those pre-existing conditions that come with health problems, you know, attribute to the fact that, you know, we may lack in some of the area that we need on a psychological level. So I believe in creating a better environment, right? Uh, improving um, our strategic plan. So to me, it's like, if you don't have a strategic plan, then people get lost. So I want to help the city build strategic plans that will last 10, 20, 30 years. So every time a new administration comes in, we're not starting from ground zero, but we're building off the shoulders of giants, you know, creating more community initiatives. So at the HBCU College Town, you know, we have an outside community from the campus and we have the campus community with the students. But to me, it's, we shouldn't be working differently. We're both still neighbors, regardless of age, background, classification. We should also be working so creating those initiatives um, that bridge the gap between the two entities so that when problems come along that need solutions, we're not throwing knives at each other, but we're shaking hands to try to come up with those solutions to build a better tomorrow for the next generation. I like that. In instead of coming off as a politician, you're also you're really coming off as more of a a, state, uh, a statesman like you you believe in community and that you kept touching on that so what are some ways that you that you reach out to your community or plan to reach out to your yeah. community so I'll tell you um, 
I don't consider myself a politician. I consider myself a community developer in the same way that someone gets elected to the school board. Like, you're not going to say, oh, that's a politician. You're going to be like, oh, that's my school board trustee. That's in education. So I don't consider myself a politician. Um, I consider myself a community developer in an elected official capacity. Um, but because of that community development aspect, and I love the aspect of community organizing, a lot of things with me is grassroots. Like... I'm just gonna knock on your door and talk to you, conversation. Now, of course, if there is a major message I need to get out quickly, then okay, I can use social media, okay, I can use emails, okay, I can use robocalls. But I know at the end of the day, real communication, real connection, real community is created when it's me and you in a room together sharing the possibilities of the community, not just the problems. So my biggest thing is, going door to door, and then also connecting people in spaces where they start recognizing names. Now they start recognizing faces because if I'm in trouble, I'm more likely to help my brother who I know than help my stranger or help a stranger who I never met. So putting people in spaces, you know, creating initiatives like Adopt the Block, which is a spinoff of Adopt the Highway, where instead of organizations adopting pieces of highway, now student organizations can adopt pieces of these neighborhoods. So now the students and the community comes together. Protect the Village, which was a traditional initiative that I founded, which is three weeks of historical preservation, social bonding and community service where we're bridging the gap, creating a conference, the Prairie View City Conference, where, where people come together, they share ideas, they share memories, and they share experiences. These are the things that create community. So we can focus on development. We can focus on buildings all day long, but buildings don't have feelings. Buildings don't have personalities people do so we're not building people whenever we think about developing our community then we are building a house upon sand and so my goal is create foundational things for the city of prairie view so long after i'm gone the people after me can reap the benefits of the grassroots work we do in today's world i wanted to touch on you growing up, did you always think that this was the career path you were going to take or did your your interest develop as you grew older? Yeah, it's funny you say that. Um, no. So directly, no. Um, <laughs> not at all. I actually got my bachelor's of science. Come right now, I'm getting my master's in community development from Prairie View University. Shout out to the HBCU hometown. But I got my Bachelor of Science in Mathematics. And so because I got my Bachelor of Science in Mathematics, I thought I was going to be a math teacher. All, you know, I, at first I came in, uh, engineering major said, no, sir, after I hit statics and dynamics. And then I went to uh, civil engineering. And then I went to a little more structural things. I like, this ain't it. So I changed to mathematics. thought I was going to be a math teacher. But one thing about me is I don't hold myself hostage to the thoughts of yesterday, meaning that ain't nobody going to tell me what I can be tomorrow. If I want to stop being an elected official and go to Ghana and do economic development there, then I'm going to do that. If I want to stop what I'm doing as an elected official and be a teacher in Sri Lanka, I'm going to be a teacher. So uh, my pathway, I really just leave it up to divine order. I study myself, I meditate, I find my passions, and I treat my mind and my spirit like water. So if the bank of the river turns left or right, 
then I'm gonna go where the water goes. So I really didn't even think about getting into this realm until I became SJ vice president my junior year um, and my collegiate journey. And when I got a little taste of not really politics, if, if you really talk to me for a long time, you'll know that I don't really like politics. Like I don't like the partisanship because I feel like the battle in America is not against Democrats or Republicans, which is why I'm registered independent. I mean, the battle is white supremacy, white nationalism, and everybody trying to get under the boot mm. of oppression. That's, that's the way I look at it. So I'm not yes. even a huge politics guy. So if you ask me, like, deep into, like, oh, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? I'm not, I'm either A, not really going to give you an answer, or I'm going to tell you I don't I don't dive into that area because Democrats and Republicans aren't going to create the liberation of my people. Right. So, yeah. So, I, so really, uh, go back to answering your question. Um, you know, it just... Life kind of just happened this way, and we'll see where life goes in the next five to ten years. Right, because you're still so young, like, who knows? And you're on a great path so far, so it's just like, anything is possible at this point. <laughs> no, for sure, and I, I'll tell you, um, one of my favorite stories is Carter G. Woodson. Um, he used to work in a coal mine. It's been a while since I read this, so I'm going to try to be as accurate as I can. But he used to work in the coal mines. Okay, yeah, go for it. Okay, thank you, yeah. So he used to work in the coal mines, and because, and this is is like, I want to say either early 1900s, late 1800s, this is after Reconstruction, like, don't quote me on that, but it was a while back. But Carter G. Woodson used to work in the coal mines and there was a guy named Oliver who worked there. And after they after work, they would invite the coal miners um, into Oliver's house and he would give them food like watermelon and ice cream. And Carter G. Woodson was the one guy that was literate, that could read and write. Everybody else was illiterate. So they used to have Carter G. Woodson read different articles, books like currency and whatnot. And he would say it out loud to everybody um, in that room so they can learn things and had debate and discussion. And they found out like, oh, well, we don't know about this. They'll send Carter G. Woodson back. And he would learn some more, say it out loud. They would do more debate. And it would just, it would just transfer knowledge. And I think that is a example, a framework, a philosophy of how us as people, we don't, we shouldn't gain knowledge on an individualistic level for ourselves, but we should learn it for the community, right? We should, we should be like Sankofa is a word uh, from our common people in Ghana where you go back and get it, get the history so you know how to move forward. And when you get that history, you share it amongst the people because what good is it to be at the top Look to your left and right and see you're the only one there. If my people don't succeed, then I don't succeed. And that's just my, that's always been my philosophy. And I'm sure this, this road to your path to success has not been easy. So what are some obstacles that you've had to face in, the, in this upcoming election and your last election and just overall? So for sure, right? Life is ups and downs, bumps and bruises. You know, Invictus talks about it by, um, you know, Invictus talks about in a poem, um, even though my head is bloody, 
Uh, I'm still on bow. Um, I think some of the biggest challenges have, have typically been with myself, right? Um, trying to battle against insecurities, um, trying to battle against notions that I may not be good enough, um, trying to battle the passions of yesterday that I thought was my purpose, but truly wasn't. Um, that's why I'm big into mental health, like make sure you take care of yourself. Uh, but then also being a young black man, um, you know, W.B. Bois, he talks about double consciousness of being American, but also being black and the struggle that African-Americans have with trying to exist in the space of America and still try to hold on to our race and culture at the same time. Uh, being young, um, ageism definitely exists. People think because you're young um, that you don't know anything or you haven't lived long enough to make change or impact and they challenge you in ways that to me can be described as either disrespectful or just belittlement. Um, but the way I've really been trying, I, the way I really get over all that stuff is when I die, like, my whole thing is I, I want my spirit to live on forever. So I will try my hardest to try to take every fear from the forefront, you know, try to express as much courage as I can um, and do the things that I feel like I'm called upon and break through those chains that even still hold me to today so that I'm better tomorrow. I'm glad that you um you spoke on ageism, especially that and I wanted to make sure that we highlighted how old you are. That's why early in the show I asked, you know, tell us about yourself. Because you know, a lot of the younger generation feels like, you know, politicians are older. Like and you're not that older than me. And to be honest with you, I've never seen a twenty four year old politician until today until today so it's kind of like you know history is being made and it just goes to show that you don't have to be 40 30 and been doing this for a long time you know what i'm saying i mean and you do have to start somewhere so everybody who was part they had to start somewhere but like i'm just saying like i have never seen and that just that's going to speak to somebody that's in middle school or high school right now who probably felt like they probably could never be a politician but it it can, it can happen you know 2020 showed us that anything is possible especially in the world of politics and I just want to piggyback off of that like I like to you know really go off of the saying youth is the future so it's like for someone you know as young as you are and basically you know even me and Cartier like we're we have this platform like we're following our dreams. You're pursuing your dreams. What is some advice that you would like to give to the youth and other people who are trying to figure out what path to take and how to get there and to, you know, encourage them to not be dis discouraged and to keep, you know, persevering through? Well, first, I want to say I do appreciate y'all for even creating this platform. Um, we as a people, we need to create more mediums in which we control the narrative. Uh, because if you look at the history of civilization or go to some books uh, from John Henry Clark or Dr. Francis Welsing or Dr. Chancellor Williams, it talks about how we were a special people and we still are a special people. But over time, 
knowledge was destroyed by our people and was picked up by others to tell our story. Um, so we, we definitely need to create these institutions in these uh, spaces where we control narratives. So I just want to make sure I give y'all a major shout out for that. Um, and in that Thank you. Of course, you. of course. And I'm always here to support. Um, my, my biggest advice is to know thyself. And the way to know thyself is you got to know where you come from. Like, you got to know black history before slavery. You got to know black history outside of America. I mean, we stand on the shoulders of, of giants. Uh, Toussaint Louverture, uh, Benjamin Banneker, Carter G. Wilson, yeah, <laughs> George Washington Carver, but you can go back to Ramses II, you go to Menes, I mean, you go to some people, you know, Mansa Musa, you know, these are the people that have typically not been talked about. You know, even if we talk about, if we talk in the realm of, of, of black people and the essence of the movement, Fannie Lou Hamer, we're talking about Stokely Carmichael, H. Rap Brown, Huey P. Newton, Fred Hampton. I mean, we have some people that have truly transcended um, all the negative stereotypes and stigmas of what white supremacy has constructed the black man and woman to be. So when you know thyself and you know the power, then you would realize that it's not that we need to discover new things about ourselves, but we just need to be aware of the things that are already inside of us. And once we start realizing the power that comes in our melanin, once we know the power that comes to our ancestors, the power that comes from the motherland, uh, you will start to see the world as not just a body that is just walking through grass and that is just here to do work, but you see yourself as a spiritual being here to leave a legacy and a purpose. And that just emphasizes everything we do on a daily basis for you to prioritize the things that you consider passion and purpose so that you can create something divine for not only yourself, but all those who come in contact with you. The state of the world that we're currently in, um, as we all know, it's, uh, we don't, we, even though we, anybody with common sense, know who our next president is going to be, there's still a group of people that honestly, I don't want to call them Republicans because they have some hidden agendas and you keep saying the word white supremacy and it's more of I, a, I definitely agree. if their president don't win, then they're going to go around killing innocent black people. And it's, it's, it's a sad, right. And it's, it's really sad because I mean, just take the loss and move on. And you're trying to do this and hide under the fact that you're Republican and you're Christian. And you, this is what God is telling you to do. when you even have the president's re- spiritual advisor praying from, African spirits to come over and win the election and it's it's a whole bunch of foolishness if you ask me and so it's like and if like if you don't understand where you come from you can get sucked up into all of this and feel like this is this is right this is normal and this this is this is God's doing but I I don't read nowhere in the Bible where they just go around killing innocent people just because Jesus lost something. And so, yeah. 
Yeah, it's a lot. It, and every day it gets, it gets worse and worse. Like, we're still counting votes. Well, we already know who won. But it is our, the president's, you know, rights to get a recount or any, um, anybody who runs. But it's like, you can, the, the numbers are right here. You know what I'm saying? The stats are right here. There's no reason to cheat. You, you was a horrible president. One of the worst. And you know how bad you have to be to become the worst president? <laughs> you mentioned that Prairie View was like a college town. So did you go to the dorms or door, knock door to door? I know you, you was heavy on grassroots. And did you see a heavy influx of the youth vote? Oh, yeah. We, we came vote one. And shout out to Prairie View University. We had record turnout. Um, in this past election, we, we've had more people vote in the local and county than ever before. Um, we've had people that galvanized um, different type of events and initiatives so that students can go out um, and not only see their vote as something that is just wasteful, but as something that has purpose. Um, and like I said, this was, it was a lot of forced bias. And truly, the most beautiful thing about it was, of course, I'm an elected official. So, of course, I want people to vote. Of course, I want them to vote for me. Of course, I want them to, to pick, you know, who they feel like is best for the position. But these students, you know, they're not just talking about what happened during the election. These students are having conversations about what about after, right? Like they are having conversations about, okay, Joe Biden and, and uh, Vice President Harris is about to win, but how are we gonna hold them accountable afterwards, right? And not only just in domestic policy, but also on foreign policy, right? Because what good is it if black Americans are treated better, but they still destabilizing our African brothers uh, on Africa and on the other side of the world. So so having these conversations with intellect and these these dialogues of higher consciousness, I'm just really proud um, of my university, my HBCU. I know other HBCUs really held it down. Shout out to those HBCUs in Georgia, you know, that really held it down to make sure that they flipped some seats. Um, shout out to TSU, um, Texas Southern University. I know they did great work in Houston. I just know there's a lot of HBCUs that connected um, in unity because they understood that in the building of local power, there has to be connection, there has to be unity. And so, you know, I, I'm just more than proud. And when I was knocking on doors, you know, a lot of the doors have already been knocked on by other students who weren't running for a position that were just telling people, hey, get out and go vote. So, I mean, I couldn't be more proud of my HBCU, and I hope that we take the lessons of this election and continue to build local power economically, socially, uh, politically, and psychologically in more ways in the future. I think that um, what you were saying about how, you know, some of the, uh, some of your, you know, the students at, um, at the university were saying how, you know, they're looking for the aftermath. You know, yeah, you know, they're in office now. So it's like, what happens now? Like, where do we go from here? And like all presidents, 
you know, whoever steps foot into the White House has to basically clean up before they can start even implementing, you know, the things that they ran on their campaign, you know, to, you know, start doing the cleanup work of getting America back on track and quote unquote saving it. Um, so I just think it, you know, that I'm like most of the other people are just interested in seeing how, you know, what's first on the agenda you were talking about foreign policies and yeah I, I agree that immigration needs to you know we ha we have to find a better way because uh you know the story they were keeping the, the kids in the pods like that was just crazy you know separating them from families like that's that's a trauma that's unfathomable and there's always a better way that we can come uh to terms and you know something that not everyone's always going to be happy with the choices that are made, but I just find it interesting. In addition, you know, the whole coronavirus, like this pandemic, like, you know, I know I'm not the only one, but I need this to get, you know, under control, you know, at least start pushing out some vaccines or something. You know, I just want to see, you know, the government doing more. For sure, for sure. And no matter who's in office, accountability has to be held. Like, no matter yeah. what. Okay. Uh, I tell, the students and the community members in the city of Prairie View. Like, I don't care if you know who I am. I don't care if, you know, me had a good relationship, still hold me accountable because I am just a microcosm of the different levels of government that we all should be holding accountable to and that we also have standards for. So I know a lot of times when it comes to politics, a lot of people are very emotional in a sense that they're like, oh, he's cute or, oh, she's black or, oh, he's from my hometown. So I'm gonna vote for him just because of that. And not to say that there shouldn't be representation in politics because for sure, right? Our, our government should be a reflection uh, the constituents that they represent, you know, without any without any questions asked. But in that same breath, we can't be so in tune with the emotional that we forget about the logical, right? Because we see too many times where there was a familiar face in a place for 10 years and that familiar face in that place did nothing for the 10 years or nothing that would suffice the needs of that particular community in which they represent. So I think that we're, I think we're making good steps. I think, as you said, Sly, you know, with COVID, with, with foreign policy, with all that's going on, we need to make sure that those promises that were made to us, especially them student loans. Hey, hey, uh, Mr. Uh, President Joe Biden, if you if you listening to this, you know I heard, I, you know I heard what you said about the student loans. I read what you said about the student <laughs> loans. I was about to get a master's degree, <laughs> so I need you to help me out. Uh, but just hold yes. them accountable for uh, for the thing that they said they were going to do. Yes, yes, yes. Can, can I at least get 13 G's, something over here. Right, everybody everybody got loans. <laughs> get, get, yeah, give me something, man. Now, I know you promised a bigger number, but I'll be honest, your boy ain't been getting nothing, so I'll take a little something. Right. Right. But, you know, I'm a hopeful person. I hope that, you know, with uh, the leadership of the country, going back into a Democratic presidency, uh, I hope that, you know, these changes can be uh, can be made because, you know, systemic issues like wealth gap, school segregation, 
you know, climate, everything that, you know, we've been talking about today. You know, it's, it's not going to happen overnight. We all know that. But hopefully we can start making some strides in the right direction. For sure, for sure. And as, as I stated earlier, everybody has their role in the push for liberation. So as y'all are creating this media outlet, right? right this, this, this representation, I'll, I'll tell y'all too, a point that y'all made earlier, um, there are other young elected officials out there. 25, 26, 27, I had the pleasure of meeting a couple of them, but they're not given a platform for them to show themselves to other people. And the issue a lot of times within the black community is because we don't own these outlets, these platforms, we can't show our people what is out there. And that, and we forget that the absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence. So we feel like, oh, we didn't see it or it doesn't exist. So it's so important that we have these platforms, we have these spaces as y'all are creating so that those who may not know or be aware now not only know or are aware, but now they're inspired to continue to create their own form of space, whether through community development, whether it's through media, whether it's through art, whether it's through television, whether it's through engineering, whether it's through teaching or the educational platform, you know, giving people the inspiration to take the skills that we are learning in these, you know, colleges and these different arenas at home in our neighborhoods and not just use it to be trained to make other people rich, but to actually have a psychological reasoning for it for the liberation of the people. I'm going to piggyback and backtrack just a little bit because y'all moved, moved a little head. I was a little soaked with my question. But um, Sly had made a point when she mentioned COVID. And so did that at any point uh, make you worry about the election, about num- people not turning up to the polls? And also, did that, do you believe that it hurt or helped the election? So, I mean, I got two answers. I mean, there's a local answer and then there's a federal answer. And when I talk about local and federal, I mean the elections. Um, so when COVID happened, uh, I really wasn't focused on elections. The big thing I was worried about, make sure everybody's safe. Like, make sure, you know, we take the proper protocol of the city to ensure that there's social distancing, that people got on masks, um, that people are adhering to the CDC guidelines. Uh, Because regardless of an election or politics, like life is life, you know, humanity is humanity. Um, And so we we were supposed to have an election in May, but when COVID happened, like there was no doubt in my mind, especially when I saw how serious it was getting uh, when we got to March, oh, we got to push this back because we can't have people coming in these spaces together as one um, when we got a pandemic happening. Um, And when it comes to turnout, like there are different tactics to to go vote. I mean, you can mail-in ballot, absentee ballot, um, you can, you know, vote in person. So I really wasn't ever worried about the turnout because I think a lot of people understood the gravity of this particular election. Then because uh, a lot of local elections across the country was pushed back into November, uh, I knew that that was going to drive up 
voter turnout um, because, you know, typically when you have local elections, it's never near as much as federal elections. Um, but when all that got pushed into one, and then considering the climate of America with racial injustice, um, with COVID, um, with all the foolishness that's happening along, uh, around the world, I knew people were going to understand the gravity of making sure that they go out and vote. So I never really worried about it. My, my biggest thing was, A, make sure the people are safe and healthy and B, when people do vote, there's a plan in place to ensure that we try to prevent as much community spread as possible. So to be honest, you gave me my answer within the first sentence. When you said you really didn't care about the election back in March, you was more concerned about the your, your constituents, the people in your town. Honestly, as somebody that's listening, as a voter, as a resident in somebody's town, that's more important to me. Do you want my vote or you want my health risk? And I solely believe a, a lot of politicians, the vote was more important than health. And sure. that's, that's scary because that shows me that once you get elected, you're not going to take my needs seriously. You're not going to take my wants seriously. So to be honest, I really asked that question just to see where you consistent with everything that you said the whole time and you, you have been. For sure, and I, I'll tell you, it's a travesty when elected officials are so afraid of being unelected where they take people's lives for granted just to try to ensure a victory. Like, if you really about that work, then regardless of you in a position or not, you're gonna make things shape. So for politicians um, to put people's health um, second um, and put their own clout, their own platform first. One, their constituents need to take a real look into who's representing them. And two, that politician needs to take a real look at himself because uh, one of my favorite quotes is you either, you either die a hero or live, live long enough to be a villain. And some people are in the political game so long, that's all they know. That's all they contribute to their status. And they do whatever they can to keep that status. And if that is your main focus, then you need to go ahead and save yourself and get out the game while you still can, instead of being in the game and hurting more folk based off of your ignorance to what you have become. My appreciation goes to y'all for creating this space and I hope that y'all continue to work to um, heighten the space that y'all are that y'all are establishing uh, because regardless if y'all know it or not, it's a big thing for the community when we see our people putting other people on through their platform. So my 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 high regards and and I, I truly commend what y'all doing. Now, I want to say, you know, thank you for uh, taking out the time out of probably a busy schedule I don't I, I can imagine that you're just as busy um and you know just taking that leap of faith and running and just going to show that like I said it could be anybody you know you showed us representation and that means a lot to me I don't know if I would personally want to run politics but if I ever doubted myself that I couldn't do it I would go back to this episode and uh just look at your life and show that it can be done 
like to thank you as well for joining us today. Uh, you were very knowledgeable. I learned a lot. <laughs> getting to know the experiences that you have uh, endured without, you know, through your career and just life and spreading wisdom. So I want to say thank you for that. For so, man, if you have a heart for the people, the people are going to defend you as much as you defend them. And within the youth, uh, you know, social media is you know, it can be such a wonderful resource tool and a platform, you know, of its own. So if you have any socials you want to throw out there so people can follow you and we can, you know, continue to grow, feel free to throw your socials out there. Y'all can follow me on the gram at Exante, X-A-N-T-E, uh, underscore Isaiah, I-S-A-I-A-H-R-I-P to my, to my grandfather who um who uh, my middle name named after Isaiah. And then you can follow me on Twitter at Poetical Wallace, P-O-E-T-I-C-A-L Wallace. You know, we keep poetry flowing through our mind, body, and soul. So y'all go ahead and follow me on the socials. So you're a poet? Yeah. I actually, no, actually funny, uh, y'all, I, I'm actually, I, tomorrow, I'm trying to finish up this spoken word video. I'm gonna put on my website, uh, exantewallace.com. Uh, so, so, so working on that. I'm, okay. I'm more than I'm more than an elected official. I want to make sure the people know that. Oh, right, yes, most definitely. Well, we might have to I, do a little talking after this. We actually involve uh, poetry and spoken word on this show. So, you know, if we could have you for that, that would be wonderful. Every Sunday we Just do. Let a, me know. Yeah, every Sunday we do a thing called Soulful Sunday. Where we showcase different uh spoken word artists, poets, musicians. It's, it's, it's just a vibe. Like once you hear, you know what we're talking about. Well, so that's I'll, all tell you. I'll tell you. I I know some cats in the game that can go. I ain't one of those cats. So you know, if you're looking for a top notch, uh, I ain't the one to find. But I'll, I'll put a couple words together and create a sentence. <laughs> hey, don't down yourself. We believe in you. <laughs> we believe in you. <laughs> we love it. We love it. Right, because I mean, when we're not, we don't have Maya Angelou on the show, but you know, <laughs> we 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 uh accept. We offer it to anybody. Anybody welcome to do it. So, and the way that you speak, you speak so eloquent. I'm pretty sure your your phones are they're fine. <laughs> Way better than what I can do. Oh man, I, I definitely I, I don't write poetry for others. I, I kind of write it for myself. So I'll tell you, I don't know if it's good or bad. I, I just do what I do. That's understandable, but hey, we, we are, the office still stands. Well, sous chefs, this has been another exhilarating show here at the Melting Pot. I'm your host Sly. I'm Cardi the Dawn, and this has been the, the Melting, Melting Pot. Pot. Okay, okay.